0: Well, Joel, I, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like that was good training for the Hope Choir coming up, huh? Uh-huh, Hope Choir! Yeah, come on! And I heard by God's grace, um, there were about 30 kids downstairs earlier today practicing for the Hope Kids Choir! Come on! Yes, Lord! Go, Lord, stir up a new song of praise in our hearts. Let's open up our Bibles, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 5. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, put up your hand. Our ushers are coming right now. We want to put a copy of God's Word in your lap. You're going to need it. We are called Hope Bible Church for a reason. Verse by verse, line by line through Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 5. And it is on page 347 in those Bibles the ushers are handing out. 347. The we'll whole Bible church been waiting a year to say this. Uh, Merry Christmas! Yeah, come on. Merry Christmas, uh, We officially launch into the Christmas season tonight. Yeah, that's exciting. Come on. Yes. Here's the question. As we jump into our Christmas series, it is this: Are you prepared for Jesus this Christmas? Or will you miss him? Are you prepared? Are we as a church, are you in your family, are you in your heart prepared for Jesus this Christmas? Or will you, will your family, will we miss him? Welcome to our Advent series, loved ones, called Prepare the Way. Prepare the Way. Now, some of us come from different backgrounds. Maybe you're familiar with Advent. Um, Maybe some of us aren't. So let's get on the same page of what we're talking about when we say Advent. Here's what Advent is. Write this down. Advent just simply means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event, Advent just means arrival. Say that with me. Advent means arrival. There you go. Advent is the season that is this month leading up to Christmas that is to be used as, okay, let, let's, let's unpack what Advent's purpose is. It is a time of reflection and preparation. Why is it a time of reflection? Preparation for what? For preparing our hearts our families, our homes, for the arrival, for the birth of Jesus Christ, God in flesh. The glory of God, as we just sung, incarnate. And Advent has four themes. And we're going to walk through each of these themes by the grace of our Lord over the next four weeks. Themes of hope, that's this week. Peace, next week. Love, the week after and as we celebrate Christmas on December 23rd, Lord willing, joy. And all of these themes are actually not simply themes, they are attributes. Attributes of God. The God of hope, the God of peace, the God of love, the God of joy, that are embodied in Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, when he came to earth as fully God and fully man. So why do this? I mean, why can't we just, you know, Just cruise along through the book of Acts, like what we've been doing all the way. Well, that's great, but there's theological importance to observing Advent. Theological importance. Advent was literally God's redemptive plan being summed up in the advent of Jesus. In the advent of Jesus, God's redemptive plan from before even one minute of human history began is summed up in the advents of Jesus. His first advent that we celebrate at Christmas and his coming second advent where he will return. Amen? God's redemptive plan. It's got massive theological importance. You can't miss this. Otherwise it's like oh, advent series. It's a big deal. And here's the reality. Sin is what destroys and hinders and distorts the hope and peace and love and joy of the Lord in our lives. Can we agree on that? Massive theological importance to observing this because sin is what distorts it. But not only is there theological importance, you'll see the next one. There's practical importance. Practical, day-to-day, living it out in our lives. Satan wants to distract us. Anyone get distracted from Jesus at Christmas? Anyone? So often the family dinners are more on our agenda than Jesus. the gift buying, the craziness, the chaos. Distracting us from our eyes on Christ, right? Satan loves to distract us from Jesus and finding, and finding these themes, these attributes that we can only find in him. Uh, he loves to distract us from that even in the very holiday that's used to celebrate him. Isn't it clear to see, even from this brief little intro, if we're not intentional in our preparation, we will miss Jesus this Christmas. Your family will miss Jesus this Christmas. You, in your heart, will miss Jesus this Christmas. Will you prepare the way? Staggering, isn't it? Going through all the Christmas season and missing the very one it points to. That's what we're in danger of. And the problem, I think you see it even right there, the problem that you and I face right now and we'll face tomorrow and the next day and the day after that is our unbelief. It's our unbelief. See, in unbelief, we're often looking in the wrong places. Look at that screen. We're often looking in the wrong places for hope, for peace, for love, and for joy that can only be found in Jesus We set our hope and try to find security in the things of this world. Watch what happens over the next couple weeks. How many people are going to be rushing to the stores? Rushing to the grocery stores because they're setting their hope in consumerism. If I just have more stuff, if people just give me praise for what I get them, the glory of it you just watch. The onslaught is on. I mean, if you watch some of the videos over the past years, there's like fights breaking out in stores. In Walmart. Why? Because their hope is in what they can get off a shelf. And that can't last. We we try to find love and peace and hope and joy in sex. In relationships. In power, in popularity, in money, in jobs, in false gods. Man, talk about a season that reveals idolatry in our hearts, huh? Christmas. Wow. You and I right there, if we're honest and we humble ourselves before the Lord right now, we're going to see, we're going to take an honest assessment by the power of the Spirit and say, Lord, I'm searching for those things in anywhere but you. See the problem? Unbelief. trying to find security in the things of this world. And what's the result? Just like Israel in the 8th century B.C. right here in Isaiah 40, idolatry, idolatry, leading to hopelessness instead of an unshakable hope in Jesus, leading to anxiety and fear instead of peace, leading to rejection and division instead of love, and leading to despair and misery instead of joy. Did you know over this next month, loved ones, I was trying to find some stats on this, but it just got really overwhelming because they're everywhere, so I stopped. But um, over the next month, credit card debt amassed alone in December will be staggering as people buy things they don't need with money they don't have to try to impress people And because they're storing up treasure in this world. And by the way, not to, you know, if there's any kids in the room, anything like that, I don't want to be like, you know, Scrooge on you or anything here. But those things that you want so bad right now, they're going to end up in a dump. But will your soul... See, here's what we got to get, loved ones. Advent is so important because notice what Advent is. As we stop to pull back from all of it and to reflect and to prepare for Jesus, Advent is so important, church, because it is a strong and courageous stand of faith. It is a stand of faith that pushes back against the culture, confronts our unbelief, and sets our minds and hearts on Jesus amidst the distractions and temptations that we face to push him to the fringe. That's what Advent is. It's a stand of faith in the face of a culture so bent on going away from Him. And so I want to encourage us right here, right here, over the next four weeks, ready? Set aside the distractions. Set it aside. Set aside the distractions. Don't make this time your only time. You've set your heart and mind on Jesus. Set aside the distractions. Set your hearts and homes to the Lord over this next month. Don't waste it. Don't waste it, church. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way for Jesus. Loved ones, welcome to Advent season. Welcome to Advent season. And today, we're going to see this. This is where it all starts. We must prepare the way for hope. We must prepare the way for hope. Christmas time. Say this with me. Okay, eyes up here. Christmas time is hope time. Say it. Go. Christmas time is hope time. Christmas time is hope time. Anyone need hope today? You know, Christmas season is one, of the most, is one of the most difficult holidays for people who've had a hard year, who've lost loved ones, who've been through brokenness over the year. And Satan would love nothing more than to strip you of your hope. Right now, Christmas time is hope time. Let's get our eyes on the Lord today. But let's understand what we're talking about when the Bible talks about hope. Two kinds of hope. Number one, worldly hope. Worldly hope is hope that is not certain, but you're wanting a certain outcome. That's what this world says hope is. Just look at it. We got an election coming up. It's not certain who's going to win, but oh man, I hope that. Who gets it? You know, Ottawa senators, please don't put your hope in the senators. (laughs) But it's like, oh man, I hope they win. Oh, they lost again. And then you're all mad. And you're angry. And you're flipping out. Weather, politics, job. Oh, I'm just going to set my hope in getting this job. And then when I don't get a response, I'm crushed. I'm going to, students, I'm going to set my hope in these exams. And then when I don't get the mark I want, I'm flatlined and I'm self-pitying and I'm in discouragement. Oh, here's another one. I'm going to set my hope in this relationship. And if it doesn't work out or I don't get it, then I'm just going into a tailspin. See, you and I do it all the time. I'm gonna set my hope in this, and when I don't get it, I'm paralyzed. I'm gonna set my hope in having children, and then I don't have them. What happens? I start to doubt. I start having unbelief. I start going down that dark place. That's worldly hope. Here's biblical hope, ready? This is what the Bible describes as hope. Biblical hope is hope in what is certain, but not yet realized. Biblical hope is hope, setting your hope in what is certain, but not yet realized. Here's an example. Setting your hope in God's provision in your situation. Maybe some of you just lost your job. Maybe some of you are working and trying to find a job, and you're like, oh man, cost of living is going up. What are we gonna do? Biblical hope sets their hope in God's provision that he will provide for the needs of his children. It's a done deal, whether you see it at the moment or not. Biblical hope, here it is, is hope in God's comfort. Maybe some of you are dreading this holiday. But biblical hope says, God is the God of all comfort and he will give his comfort when I draw near to him. It's a done deal, even though I might not feel it yet. It's there, it's there. If I set my hope in him. Here's another one. Biblical hope is hope in God's justice. You look at this world today. And that term's getting thrown around a lot. Justice, justice, justice. Biblical hope sets its hope in God's justice that he will work justice and mercy and righteousness for all who are oppressed. Whether we see it right now or if it looks like what we think we want it to or not. God's goodness through a situation. Here's one. one. Biblical hope sets its hope on eternity with Jesus if you are saved in Jesus Christ. Eternity with Jesus. No tears. And all will be made right. That's what is certain but not yet realized. Question Are you living with biblical hope today? Just look at those two little definitions. Are you living with biblical hope? Does your life show that? Are you preparing the way for it every day in your heart to live in hope? How do we do it? Big idea for the text. Write this down. Big one hope is found in God alone, so trust in him alone for it. There it is. Hope is found in God. That flies in the face of every message of our culture. Hope is found in God alone, so trust in him alone for it. Question, what or who are you setting your hope in today? Is it going to last? Is it biblical hope? Or worldly. Here in our text today, we're gonna see three truths we must believe and live out in God's power if we are to live with the unshakable hope of God and prepare the way for it each day. We have a part in this. Prepare the way for it each day in our hearts, in our lives. And in this Christmas season, ready? To behold the glory of the Lord. Three truths we gotta live by. You ready to go? Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word, church. Isaiah chapter 40, verses one to five. Let's read this nice and loud. We need a dose of hope fuel. You ready? Let's go. God's comfort for God's people. Verse one. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Awesome. All God's people said, amen. All right, let's have a seat. Let's dive in, church. Hope is found in God alone, but to prepare for it, ready? We must trust in his word of hope. This says what? See it from the text? I will forgive. I will forgive. See, loved ones, sin is our hindrance to hope. I'll say it again. Sin is our hindrance to hope. And only God can forgive. Only God can forgive it. But here's the first question. Remember the battle against unbelief? Here it is. Will you believe this? Will you believe this truth that God will forgive? Let's get our context. Here we are 740 BC. This is about 740 years before Jesus came, 8th century BC. The prophet Isaiah is prophesying to the region of Judah in the nation of Israel. It's the southern region around Jerusalem. Stop taking notes for one sec. We'll go back to this slide in a moment. Look at this, look at this map on here. This is where we are. That's Jerusalem right there. And you see the gray area there is Judah. This is where Isaiah is camping out for his ministry. All right, team, put that back up there for the rest of the people. And Israel, right now, in this time in their history, the nation is divided. Hey, can anyone relate to that? Good thing we don't live in a divided nation. That's good. The nation's divided. The north and south parts, the kingdoms of it, it's divided politically, it's divided religiously, and here it is it's divided racially. Can we relate? Judah, like us today, the southern kingdom, is in a time of material abundance. Just abundance. Whatever you want, you can go get. Click a button online now and you'll get it. Just like us. Material abundance. But as so often happens, when the abundance of materialism goes up, there's a major spiritual decline that follows. And this is what's happening in Judah. And look around today, church. What's different? People are craving, right here in Israel and today, craving worldly security and aligning themselves with the false gods and promises and hopes of this world. How much more heightened is this at Christmas? Lining ourselves with the stuff of this world. Wow. Wow. And the result? Walking in darkness, deception, discouragement, spiritual death, And ultimately, the rejection of the one true God and ultimately living in hopelessness. That's where it leads. And so then, the book of Isaiah, we have to understand this. The book of Isaiah is divided into two parts. Chapter 1 to 39, God is declaring the coming judgment against Israel because of their sin, because of what they're doing. He's declaring judgment is coming. And not judgment to say, I'm just going to punish you because I feel like it. No, 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 no. God's judgment, which is shown through the exile going to Babylon that happens in 586 BC. The whole nation gets taken out except for a little remnant. The judgment is to bring them back to repentance. It's an act of God's love to keep them from their idolatry. He's trying to bring them back to blessing by removing them. And then chapters 40 hits. This is the turning point right here, these first five verses. Turning point in the book of Isaiah. They actually, the the tone of Isaiah changes so much from 1 to 39 to 40 to 66 that they think it's actually two different writers, which it's not. But so many people have thought it's two different writers. 40 to 66, it changes. And it looks forward to after God's judgment. So 1 to 39 is judgment is coming and now 40 to 66 God speaks through Isaiah looking ahead to on the other side of judgment okay on the other side of the exile when Jerusalem will be destroyed by the Babylonians and the Jews are living in Babylon for 70 years And so God is anticipating that happening. And so in chapter 40, he prophesies regarding Israel's deliverance from captivity. Now, when he's prophesying here, they're not in captivity. He's prophesying ahead. Isn't the sovereignty of our God just awesome? He is awesome. Over all human history. He knows what's coming. He's not going to be stopped. And why is he doing this? He's prophesying for when they would come back in 539 B.C., as they did When Cyrus gave that edict and they came back to Jerusalem, why is he doing this? To give comfort to his people as they would soon be going into captivity. So the question facing the Israelites here and us today is in what will you trust in for salvation and your assurance of hope? What are you going to trust in? Human strategies, self-rescue, worldly security, or God's grace alone? Here God gives them a vision for true hope through the coming Messiah. Look at verses one to two, go to the text. Eyes in the book, everybody, eyes in the book. He says this, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to, notice the tone. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Notice what God does? There's the turning point of Isaiah. It goes from judgment to what? Comfort. And it's repeated twice. Comfort, comfort to show what? Emotional intensity. The Lord is so intense for the comfort of his people. Oh, rest in that truth today. He is so passionate that his people would be comforted in him. He says be, and that that term comfort there means be consoled, be encouraged, be relieved of sorrow or distress. Anyone need to hear that today? Anyone in need of consolation today from the Lord? Maybe you've had a really hard week. Maybe you've got some really bad news. Listen to the God of comfort who says comfort, loved one. Comfort. A a release of sorrow and distress, you can find that in him. For those who dread the holidays, he says, comfort. Find your comfort in me. See, God commands Isaiah right here. Notice verse 2, back to the book. To speak tenderly, that is to the heart. To the heart of the people of Jerusalem and proclaim that their warfare, that means their time in the Babylonian exile, is ended. They have served their time. So God's telling them, even though they're not in Babylon yet, he goes, it's coming to end. There will be an end. I haven't forgotten you. Anyone feels forgotten by the Lord right now? He says, I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten. He says, he's pardoned their iniquities. Notice this, that iniquity is their, their sin. It means idolatry. Their faith in man and the things of this world, their security, seeking their hope in that instead of God. Notice what he says. That's been pardoned. That's been pardoned. That means forgiven. Their penalty has been paid. And now watch this. And now instead of, like, just highlight these first two verses. And Go back to them again and again and again. Because instead of the deserved penalty for sin, God extends his hand of salvation and comfort to them with a double portion of grace. You see what God does? They've received double for all their sins from the Lord's hand. God doubles down on grace towards his people in the midst of their iniquity. He says, I've got grace for that. I've got forgiveness. Right, he doubles down on grace. He's not giving them what they deserve. And notice, it was their sin that was keeping them from the blessing and the hope of God. It was their sin. That's why they went to Babylon in the first place. He's like, I'm going to double down on grace. Live in the text. Live in the call. Put yourself in an Israelite's shoes here. Jerusalem, your home is destroyed, and you're living in exile. Just put yourself in the text under the judgment and discipline of God for your sin for 70 years. 70 years. Man, we think like God's slow when we have to wait like two weeks for something. 70 years. It's like, God, how long? 70 years. Makes our two-day wait not so bad. And you're thinking that God's forsaken you. You're thinking it was over, and yet now, instead of punishment, notice this. He speaks the word of hope to you and says, comfort, loved one. Comfort, my people. Your sins are paid for. I have forgiven you. Not beca- notice this. Notice the text. Not because of what you've done to earn my forgiveness. Oh, he doubles down on grace. Oh, I just love that. He doubles down on grace. Not because of what you've done, but because I love you and I'm gracious towards you. And today for us, just like in Israel here, every single, we'd be fooling ourselves to think otherwise. Every single one of us here has a problem, but it's a problem that not a single one of us here can fix. Do you know what that problem is? Sin. The same sin that's permeating the heart of the Israelites is the same sin that's permeating our lives today. And we can't fix it on our own. And we see its impact all over, don't we? In our lives and in this world. Here's what we have to understand if we're going to walk in the hope of God. Write this down. Sin is your hindrance to hope. You are forsaking the hope of God by enjoying your sin so much. Sin is your hindrance to to hope. The more we love, the more we cherish, the more we tolerate, the more we excuse sin in our lives, the more we forsake the hope we have in the Lord in that moment. And if we don't believe, loved ones, this is is Christmas right here. If we don't believe we have a sin problem, we will live with a major hope problem. See, the Israelites had a problem here, and we have one today. We need forgiveness. We need the Lord, and his word of hope to us today is this. I will forgive you if you come to me. I will forgive you. See, sin is your hindrance to hope, and only God can forgive. Question, will you believe this? This is faith. This is faith time. Christmas time is faith time. This is God, look at verses one and two. This is God's invitation to you. Just like it was to his people back then. This is God's invitation to hope for you and I. And if you're here and you have never set your hope in God alone and trusting him for salvation, loved one, you're not here by accident. He says, there's comfort ready for you. There is pardon ready for you. There is hope ready for you, but will you believe that you're a sinner and your sin is a big deal? There's no little sin. There's no little white lie. It was enough for Jesus to shed his blood. It's a big deal. And that you're in need of a savior and that only God can pardon your sin and all your stuff, your success, your efforts, your reputation, your false religions, other people cannot save you. Only the grace of God can, and he's ready to double down on that with you, give you what you don't deserve. And maybe you, like Israel, you might believe the sin is too deep. They thought God forsaken them. Their sin was too deep. It's been going on for so long, and there's no hope for you because God has forsaken you, doesn't love you, and he won't forgive you. And I want you to hear, in this Christmas season, his word of hope and comfort for you. He says, I will forgive. I will forgive. There's nothing that you've done that puts you too far gone for my forgiveness and grace. I will forgive you. Will you believe it? And brothers and sisters in Christ, if you do believe this and you have trusted in the Lord for your salvation, let me ask you the question, as I have been chiseled on over the last two weeks with this, what sin is hindering your hope in the Lord right now? What's hindering your hope in him? Maybe the sin. Here, here, here. Some fear, anxiety, impatience, lust, gossip, overindulgence, seeking self-glory. Just let me ask you a question: uh, Are any of those things bringing you lasting comfort? Hmm? No way. Why? Because here's what we have to understand, loved ones. When we struggle with anxiety, we struggle with fear, we struggle with lust, we struggle with impatience and anger. You know what? It's not ultimately an anger problem. It's not ultimately an anxiety problem. It's not ultimately a fear problem. You know what it is? It's a hope problem. Because what you've done... When that anxiety, we live in that and it cripples us and what happens in those moments is what you've done is you've taken away your hope that is certain in God and put it in the things that aren't certain but you're just trying to hope for the best outcome. Of course you're going to be anxious. Of course you're going to be afraid. What will this person think or what if I don't get the kids or what if I don't get a spot? Where's your hope? It's a hope problem. Hope is, yes, yes, yes. We need to deal with the anxiety. We need to deal with the fear. We need to deal with the anger. We need to deal with the impatience and repent of that and bring that before the Lord. But that's the fruit. The root is hopelessness. Where's your hope? Parents, why do we get impatient with our kids? Because you're setting your hope in their behavior. It's all over the place. Hopelessness. Moving from hope in Christ to hope in this world that can't sustain it. This is why Isaiah 26, 3 to 4 says, You keep him in perfect peace, perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. What's that? He puts his hope in you. Look, peace. Lord, increase our faith, amen. I'm right there with you, loved ones. Will you believe his word of hope to you today? Hope is found in God alone and we must trust in his word of hope that he will forgive. And if we trust in his word, here it is, here it is. If we trust in his word of hope, we will follow his way of hope. And here's the way of hope. Here's the way of hope. Always has been, always will be. It is repent. You must repent. The way of hope runs through repentance, always. Will you turn from your sin? See, it's not enough just to acknowledge our sin. We must turn from our sin. Watch this, three and four, watch this. See, Christmas, you say, what is Christmas? It's all about repentance. Christmas is all about repentance. <laughs> it's like every time you see a Christmas light, you're like, you know, did I repent today? Have I repented of my sin? I'm like, just every time, do that. Do that. Every every light. Oh, did I do it there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Praise the Lord. Prepare the way. Let's go three and four. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Can't you just hear Isaiah heralding this? In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough Places a plane. See, Isaiah then hears a voice that commands the people of God who are in the wilderness. He says, in the wilderness, the wasteland, the desert place, Babylon. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Messiah who would deliver Israel and save them from their slavery and lead them physically back to Jerusalem from Babylon. He says, make it straight. Make that way straight. Remove all of the obstacles that could get in the way. Every mountain brought low. Every valley filled in to become level. And every crooked and uneven rough piece of ground was to be made smooth. Here's the picture he's talking about. Here's the picture. It was the custom of ancient eastern kings and monarchs to send heralds and forerunners before them. When they were traveling to a different country, they would send forerunners to clear away the obstacles on the road before the king would come, and so he would be unhindered. That's the picture. This was the physical picture of a greater spiritual reality that Isaiah points us to here, of the preparation for the Messiah that the people were to follow in their hearts. There it is. It was the way they would find. This is the way right here. You struggling with hope today? Finding your hope? Go back to Isaiah 40. This is the way they would find an unshakable and eternal hope. It was God's way to them finding hope. It was the way of repentance. The way of repentance. Repent. Repentance means this. It's a change of attitude about your sin. A change of attitude about it. It's seeing it how God sees it and turning from your sinful ways. Actually, it means 180 degree turn. You're literally walking in your sin this way and then it's like, boom, you're walking towards the Lord. It's a 180 degree. You see, the highway is not ultimately here. The picture here is not ultimately about a physical, rocky, uneven ground, but it's about the highway of the heart. It is not geographical. It's spiritual. I love how one commentator put it. You'll see it on the screen. The road that the Messiah travels is the road into the hearts of people. Only repentance can prepare the way for that journey. Sin is your hindrance to hope. It's my hindrance to hope. And see, now, this same message that 800 years later, after this moment in Isaiah, The forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist, proclaimed this in the wilderness. The same thing in John 1, 23. He fulfilled this prophecy by calling the people of Israel to repent of their sins. Why? Because the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was coming and they needed to be ready. So here's this picture. Don't miss this. I'm just going to let these hang there and let you look at them for a little bit and let the truth of what we just read in verses three and four soak on your hearts and minds as you see this. Here's a picture of the unrepentant heart Isaiah gives. And here's the picture of the repentant heart. Hey, hey, hey. Which one's yours? Just look. Let's, get, let's just get real before the Lord. We love to think we're better than we really are, don't we? Can we just get real with him? Lord, which one's my heart? Loved ones, we've got to watch out for fallen rocks, don't we? Which one's yours? That, that has chiseled me for two weeks. And loved ones, if anyone thinks they're without sin, let's just hear what the Bible has to say. We deceive ourselves. And the truth of God is not in us. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Which one's yours? Leave that up there, okay, team, please? The way of hope runs through repentance. Will you turn from your sin? Hear the word of the Lord. Repent now. Repent. What are the sinful hindrances, the mountains, the valleys, the crooked ways that are blocking the highway of your heart from the Messiah today, from being filled with him and the hope he's offering to you? Maybe like Israel, let's just help. A few things help get us going. It's your unbelief. Maybe even your unbelief in the need for Messiah. You're like, I just came because I got invited. I don't need a Messiah. Really? God of the universe says otherwise. Maybe it's your unbelief that you even need a Messiah. Or if you're saved in Jesus Christ, listen, maybe it's an unbelief in his work, in his word, and in his promises. Watch for falling rocks. Maybe it's that sin pattern That's in your life. The gossiping, the slandering, the false religions, the pornography, the drunkenness, the impatience, the lust, the arrogance, the worry, the fear, the anxiety. What is it that's hindering your hope in the Lord right now? That's blocking the preparation of the way of the Lord in your life. Maybe it's, maybe it's this one. Maybe it's the idolatry. The idolatry of work, of sports, of family, of relationships, money, possessions. See, even good things from the Lord, gifts from the Lord can become idols very quickly. And our hearts are idol factories. Here's another one. Maybe it's the distractions that are taking your eyes off Jesus and putting your eyes in the world. See, every one of those boulders is another distraction. Every one of those boulders is another sin. What is that for you? You're just tolerating this. Why? You're just making excuses for it. Yeah, I wouldn't be anxious if I just got what I wanted. You're missing the whole point. If my kids just behaved, I wouldn't be impeached. You're missing the whole point. There's hope in the disobedience of your children. There's hope offered in that moment. You don't wait till the behavior changes. Why do we want to parent kids that don't need parenting? I don't get that. Four boys later, I still don't get it. And I still fall victim to that. What's blocking your heart? Are you preparing the way for the king? He will come. Loved ones, repent. Level the path. Make straight the crooked places. Prepare the way for the Messiah. Jesus will come and he's bringing with Him eternal hope, but your sin will hinder you from living in forgiveness and in that hope because you're putting it in other places you won't find it in. Will you turn from it and prepare the way for him this Christmas? What active step, what active step do you need to take today individually and in your family? In your families right now, And men in your families, special call out. Eyes up, guys. Eyes up. In your homes, you lead the way in preparing the way. You lead the way in preparing the way. Don't put that on your wife. Don't put it on your children. You lead the way. You've been entrusted with them for the glory of our King. Stand firm. Don't let your job push that to the sides. Don't let your hobbies get off the video game console and get in God's word with your home. Because at the end of the day, guys, that's all that's going to matter. It's not going to be what level you got to in Fortnite. It's not going to be how well you did at your career. What's going to matter is the soul of your wife and your children. Prepare the way. Lead the way. And Jesus will come. love you guys. Come on, let's go. Hope is found in God alone. We gotta trust in his word of hope that he will forgive. His way of hope, of repentance. And as we trust him for forgiveness, let's land this right here. We repent of our sin. We must believe in this, his work of hope. If we don't believe in the work of hope, we're not gonna repent the way of hope. We must believe in his work of hope. And what's that? Jesus will come. Jesus will come. Jesus is God's promised hope for the world. Question, the question of Christmas: Will you believe in him? What will you do with Jesus today? Look at verse five. This is a crescendo. This is amazing. Go to the book. Verse five. And the glory of the Lord through a repentant heart, look what happens. Look at the promise. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. He shall be revealed. That's a done deal. That's a promise. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See, Isaiah then proclaims God's promise for those who repent of their sin and set their hope in him. What's the promise? Go to the text. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed to them. What's the glory? What's that term glory mean? We have this kind of a vague idea of God's glory. Glory just simply means this. The Hebrew word is kavod. And it means all of God's attributes summed up. All of God's attributes they will see. They will behold his love, his mercy, his grace, his wisdom, his power, his wrath, his justice, his patience, his comfort, hope. How? How are we going to reveal this? Go to the text through the revelation of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus, the son of God who is God's glory incarnate all of God's love in flesh, all of God's mercy in flesh, all of God's grace in flesh, and goodness in flesh, and power in flesh, and wisdom in flesh, and holiness in flesh, and righteousness in (laughs) truth. That's Jesus. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Come on. The Son of God has come, and all flesh will see God's glory. See, Jesus took on flesh. He lived a perfect life as fully God and fully man 33 years. Not even one ounce of sin. He went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He took our place. He took God's wrath. He took God's punishment for the sin that you and I deserve. Just like you see there in verses 1 and 2. Your iniquity is pardoned. He died in our place. He was buried for three days. And then he rose again, defeating the power of sin and death for all time. And that power of sin, you want to know the penalty of sin? Ultimately, the worst penalty leading to hell and separation from God for eternity. That's why Christmas is a big deal. That's why preparing our heart for the Lord is a very, very, very big deal to God. You see the display of God's glory and his attributes is nowhere greater than at the cross of Jesus Christ. All of it came together in that moment. All of And now for all who hear this word today, this voice crying in the wilderness, and we trust in God's word of hope, and we recognize that we're sinners in need of a gracious Savior to forgive them. All who hear and who trust in God's way of hope to repent of sin and turn to him, and for those who hear God's word and trust in God's work of hope and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, repenting of their sin, confessing him as Lord, hey, hey, hey. Believing he's the way, truth, and life. That no one comes to the Father. No one has peace with God, but through him. Here's the reality. Jesus will come right here. Jesus offers the forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and an eternal, unshakable hope. That can't be moved. See, Jesus is why Christmas time is hope time. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus is why Christmas time. Is hope time all the other stuff? Did you know all these lights? Do you know who they point to? Jesus, you know, He's the light of the world. Do you know all those presents on your tree point to? Uh, Jesus, the one who gave us the greatest gift ever, and who was our greatest gift. Prepare the way for Him. Jesus is God's promised hope for the world. Decision time. Will you believe in him? Remember this one more time. See it on the screen, our big idea. Jesus, hope is found in Jesus alone. So trust in him alone for it. And it's only fitting, it's just only fitting that if we're going to set our hope, we're going to have our hearts prepared. This Christmas, preparing the way for the Lord, we come to the Lord's table in communion. This is a table of preparation. This is a table of reflection. This is a table of hope and reminds us of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ if we have repented of our sin and confessed Him as Lord. And the two elements we remember Christ with today are this the bread, which represents Christ's body that was crushed for us, and the juice. That represents his blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. But here's what we need to understand. This is the way of hope. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 11, 28, 29. Pay attention. This is a sacred moment right here. I know it's all the shuffling, things like that. Okay, 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 listen. Let a person examine himself then. Say, search me, God. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks, is a big deal, judgment on himself. We don't come to the table flippantly. God's grace is not given to us to go on sinning. He gives it to us to be able to kill that sin in our lives by his power for his glory. So in these next few moments, I want you to be still. Let's just be still right now. It's time to reflect and time to prepare. Close your eyes. Be still, kids. Eyes eyes. Closed, heads bowed. And pray along with David. Search me, oh God. Right now. Where's that hindrance to hope? Where's that highway of my heart blocked with sin that I'm enjoying? I'm making excuses for. Search me, oh God. And know my heart. And test my anxious thoughts. And see where the offensive ways are in me. Where is it, And lead me in the path everlasting, the path of eternal hope that I am forsaking by clinging to that sin. And as the Holy Spirit reveals these things, loved ones, right in your seat, take time to repent. Right there. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. Make level the valley. Remove the crooked places. Let the mountains of pride and lust and idolatry be brought low. Let's take a few minutes to reflect on that. And if you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I want to say two things. I'm glad you're here, but I'm going to ask you not to take the elements because communion is only for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can have that today. Talk to the person who brought you or come up after And we would love to speak with you about that. Let's go to the Lord.